welcome to Mariner Monday. Today's episode, Phil and I talked about the 6-1 and one Seattle Mariners when they were 5-1. and one. We recorded this last night. Who are somewhere between fool's gold and the greatest baseball team ever assembled. We broke down the offensive explosion through six games, the bullpen getting shellacked, and the M's new catching situation. We also got a little smarter talking launch angle, broke some news that management doesn't like spending money ever, and uh, much more. Special shout out to my parents who are celebrating 27 years of marriage this week, and they'll do so at our sponsor, Carmine's Restaurant in Bellevue. Enjoy that. Enjoy this podcast. Phil, I was uh, I was proud biking around Boston today wearing my my M's windbreaker uh, because the the Seattle Mariners are five and one since the first first time since when do you think first time since nineteen ninety eight wow close ninety five haven't okay. been All right. almost twenty five seasons since the M's have started this hot. Uh, which makes me feel really weird because this is not what we were expecting at all. No, and I, I think it's important, and we're going to talk a lot about what we've seen in the early going, but it is important to realize that it is just one week of baseball that we have under our belts, and uh, things are going to change, and some things are going to change positively, hopefully, but a lot of things are going to not continue the way we've seen them in the past week. Yeah, there's a lot of things that could either be uh, nice little stories this year or just fun little one-week outliers, and we'll... Only like time. Tim Beckham winning uh, Player of the Week this <laughs> yes, week. Yes, yes. And only time will tell uh, as we try to parse this stuff out. But uh, it was a fun week for sure. And uh, I'm sure it was fun for you yesterday at Safeco. Or, wow, I should. that's a penalty. Right I there. know. Well, that is a, that's a, that's that's going to be tough. That's going to be an adjustment for a lot of people. Yeah, actually. we should keep a tally of, of who, who says it more often this year. I think so. I'm, I'm down 1 0. Um, yeah, I can't. I don't think I'm gonna mess it up because T-Mobile is actually some of our best customers in uh, the in the restaurant. So, <laughs> so I got to keep their brand. You know where your bread is buttered. Um, yeah. So, I'm, uh, how was your experience at the park? And by the way, I think park is way better than field. Uh, T-Mobile versus Safeco aside. Oh, I agree. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't really actually get to experience any of the new stuff that I know they've been marketing because the game was so riveting yesterday and there was so much intrigue. I kind of, for the first time in a long time, just kind of sat in my seat and watched everything unfold. It was, uh, it was quite a game. But um, in the big picture of things, I can I can confidently say that uh, baseball is still good, um, and I can confirm that. And being there in person only uh, only went to deepen my beliefs that baseball is in fact good. Where was what? What? Where'd you sit? Where'd you sit? I actually had really good seats. Uh, my old tennis coach, uh, his uh, is who I went with, and uh, his company has amazing seats. So I was like six or seven rows up on the third base line. Okay, could you see the uh, the brick backstop there? Yeah, you could, and uh, I know that's going to be something that the first time um, you know a pass ball gets past the catcher, and you know a Mariner's trying to run in from third, and it just caroms right back to the catcher, and then you know they 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 tag him out at home. That's going to be much maligned. So I'm excited to hear the the takes on that when that eventually does happen, because it will happen at some point this season. Oh yeah, definitely. And we talked about tin stops earlier in the year, but we never discussed uh, brick stops. So that that should be <laughs> nice uh, callback. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but I think that that brick part it adds a little, nice little panache because that's the only part of the broadcast that really matters is what 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 behind the home plate looks like. Because you can you can make it all look nice and like find the the most intriguing section or like the fun section on TV like the cutaways, right. but you can't hide the the behind. Yeah, the, the two hundred pitches that are going to be going. Yeah. and showing that that exactly. exact camera angle. So that was that was a smart thing on their part, I think. I agree. I like the aesthetic of it. Um, real quick, one story I have about the uh, park experience. Yes. Uh, so yesterday. The Mariners did their best to give it away in the ninth, and we'll talk about the bullpen and their woes and all of that stuff later. But uh, there was a kid who was sitting with his mom and dad that was probably two rows behind us or whatever. Uh-oh. And when uh, Corey Gearin was walked three three straight guys, this kid, he was probably like seven or eight years old, really cute kid. But he goes, why can't they put in Edwin Diaz? Put in Diaz. And I, uh. first of all, I was surprised he knew Diaz. But it just it reminded me of when I was a kid and I was – 
I, I, my little brain could not wrap itself around the fact that Ken Griffey wasn't on the Mariners anymore. I thought once you were on the Mariners that you had to stay there for your whole life. So I would ask my mom the same thing. Why, why, why is Griffey not playing tonight? And it just reminded me of that. And I, I felt a very strong kinship with that, with that child at that moment. I, I, th- I thought you were going to say something of like, he's like, hey, hey Nick Rumble, you fucking suck. <laughs> Well, that would have probably been that would have probably been more of an accurate assessment. But man, do I miss Edwin Diaz right now? Like yeah. I'm sure everybody does. Yeah, you give that kid two years of Mariners fandom, he'll be saying that. So uh, <laughs> he'll he'll be jaded enough by by the time he's in third grade. Uh, do you like the aesthetics of offense? Our our first first point here, uh, the offensive explosion, and of course it happened because you lose Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano, your two best offensive players, and then uh, through five game or six games in the season. You are fourth in slugging and and uh, on base percentage, uh, duh, right? Yeah, I know. What a weird start to the year. But I've been pretty much. I've been in a state of shock. I've been like wandering the streets of Pioneer Square, like asking anybody who has any answers for me. Is Tim Beckham good? Is he good? I don't know. Is yeah. he good? I he's fun. I know that. I mean, he's he's definitely injected some. Um, I think all of the the, the ethos is about this team that that have been told to us of how this team's going to be exciting and fun and athletic all of those are not wrong and depoto has has delivered at least on that through a week that this team um you know win or loss has this kind of flair to it that is appealing and and you know when guys like ryan healy have nine hits eight of them are extra base hits uh things things are looking fun you know what i saw yesterday and going to the ryan healy thing that i didn't see last year was there was a 2-2 pitch, and it was just barely off the plate. And Ryan Healy took it, and it was, and he got into a 3-2 count, and then he hit a double. Mm-hmm. And it's just, how many times last year is Healy flailing at that pitch off the corner of the plate and then walking back to the dugout all the time? So I don't know if there's some real adjustment that he's been making or if it's just, like I said, one week into the season and, you know, whatever, one pitch – but that was something that you had never seen from Ryan Healy last year. And that could be something that you could take as an encouraging sign that he's going to really buy into this philosophy of trying to control the zone and, and doing his best to work hitters counts where he can actually get a pitch to do some damage with instead of swinging at whatever looks like he has to swing at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I refuse to do, I'm actually restraining myself from doing any sort of like on pace for stuff this year because it's through six games and that would just be dumb. But I'll wait a month before we do that. But it was encouraging yesterday at the game you were at. Seven walks drawn in a game when you have this type of lineup that's not exactly that's not really a uh, a anything but consistent. Um, it it's just it's one way to to keep your offense baseline um, productive is just to take more pitches and to be to be a and, little more patient at the plate. Yeah, and working the count of I mean I was saying it throughout the whole series with the Red Sox. Every time a Red Sox starter was through three innings, they were already at 80 pitches. And now, obviously, the bullpens are where you want to get to, usually with teams, because that's usually a soft underbelly of a team. Um, The Red Sox bullpen actually did a pretty good job of holding us at bay. But if they can continue that and work on some teams that may not have the bullpen like the Red Sox do, they could find a lot of success getting into those, like, fifth, sixth, seventh guys in the bullpen that you you don't use unless, you know, you're in a really bad situation. Mm Mm-hmm. So Tim Beckham and, and Domingo Santana are probably your two MVPs uh, through a week, both of which, you know, we, we talked about Shomingo a little bit more than Tim Beckham um, in our kind of preseason podcasts. Which mm-hmm. of them, both of them are just absolutely out of their minds right now, just blacked out. Who is more likely to sustain this? And by this, I mean anything even close to this. I think Santana. Yeah. Um, because... He has been drawing walk. I think he drew two walks yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the power is obviously very real. When I was at the park yesterday, it looked like he hit one off the end of the bat and it, it made it out to the warning track. So he doesn't have to square up every pitch to do damage. Tim Beckham, it feels like, is more predicated on really having to find a pitch and, and, and put the barrel on it. Whereas Santana, it, from my eye, which granted I'm not a scout, but it really looks like he has power there to spare so if he doesn't exactly square one up he can still be a productive it can still be a productive plate appearance for him and like we said 10 times in the last you know however many podcasts 
this guy is one year removed from a 30 plus home run season. So mm. it's not out of the question that he's going to continue on, not maybe this pace, but a pace that's similar to this. Yeah, I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday, but we uh, we were joking, uh, texting each other about how our our twenty five home run over under for for Domingo was was uh, was looking a little low. So that one's looking great. The uh, the D Gordon walks not so great. Uh, no, not yet. Yeah. But he's gonna get them in bunches. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the and he had a couple good at bats yesterday. He had a little flare out to center field, which uh, dropped in, and he had a really clutch bases loaded uh, single that he went the other way with. Mm. So. If he's finding his pitch and doing damage, that's all I can really ask. Whereas, you know, in the past, it was rolling over to the second baseman four times a game. Yeah, can we coin something here? And it's called, I'm going to call it the, the D-double, which is uh, the infield single st- stole a base. So you, ball never leaves the infield, but you it, end up on the second base. On on the, on the, in the scorecard, it looks the exact same as a double out to the fence. So I'm, exactly. uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, he. Um, it, it reminds me again. Early last season was some fun times too, as he headed into July, and that's that's when this team looked the most fun. Is when him and and Gene Segura were just terrors on base paths, and, mm-hmm. and, and that does a lot of damage to the pitcher as well. Because psychologically, knowing that you're going to have that constant threat to steal, mm-hmm. it's it's not easy to go and face a major league hitter having to also split your attention on the base paths. Yeah, how about how about Shomingo as we talk about it? Five tool guy with a couple steals already this year. Drawn walks, hitting for power. Uh, this this is exciting. If if this, I think you mentioned that you mentioned last time that he has the third fastest I think sprint speed on the team. Second, yeah. is what second, what, yeah. What Depoto was saying. So yeah, it's um, you know we talk about which one would we prefer for between Tim Beckham and Shomingo to uh, to become something. Obviously, Shomingo as a younger guy has a little bit more uh, in the can as as a potential you know long term piece for this team than than Tim Beckham does, but. Uh, in the meantime, we'll happily take the production either way. Uh, let's talk about the bullpen. because Real quick before we talk about the yeah, bullpen, sure. I want to just do one thing on Narvaez. Yesterday, there was a little bit of like a running changeup that was off the plate. And it, I think there was runners on first and second with two outs. And Narvaez just kind of – and not this isn't even mentioning the three-run shot that he hit, which we talked about how he's not a power guy, but it started developing at the end of the last season. And if he can continue that, well, then that's just gravy. But there was a little running changeup off the end of the plate, and he flipped it out into center field for a single, and he played it a run. Uh, how many times would Mike Zanino – and I know Zanino's the superior defensive catcher, but my God, is it so much more pleasing to watch a guy like Narvaez hit than it is to watch Zanino, who was feast or famine, either a three-run bomb or nothing. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Zanino fatigue kind of got there, and it, it got to a point where you really had to talk yourself into – the defensive part of it and the leadership and things like that. But aesthetically, I mean, a guy, a, a catcher who is a little bit more reliable um, is, is a nice piece. And and this is something before we move on to the bullpen, uh, Jason Churchill was tweeting about today of, and I think we kind of mentioned of like, man, did the offense actually get worse after, after losing Cano and Cruz or did it actually get better? Because if you think about it, the only positions where they, they regressed definitely um, in terms of offensive production are at second, short, and DH, right? Like right. everywhere else but they should be. They've a, a added hybrid. everywhere else. And I think we've said something to that effect mm-hmm. in these podcasts before that this team has offensive capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of wait and see with some of this stuff to see it kind of re- regress. But the early returns are, are sure nice. Um, speaking of early returns, uh, the, the bullpen – my God, three straight games of allowing at least one run in the ninth inning. Uh, Zach Ruskup and Dylan Moore tried their their dangness to uh, to blow it on Saturday. They did blow it on Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick Rumbelow has been terrible. Um, there was I already forget who blew it. Or, Corey Gearin. Corey Gearin was horrible. Uh, Hunter Strickland pitches on Friday. Looks like hell. Uh, turns out he was hurt. Goes in the injured list. Uh, it has been a a rough rough patch for the bullpen. Yeah, so do you know what why they call the bullpen the bullpen? Well, it's a it's a pen, right? It's a, like a mm-hmm. c- closed space full of <laughs> full of uh, so, testosterone out men. Is that word? So basically, a bullpen outside of the use in major league in baseball is a place where you keep your cattle before you send them out to the slaughterhouse. And my God, I couldn't imagine a more <laughs> appropriate metaphor. 
for this team than that. They just get sent, they stay in there until they have to go and face the slaughter. And it's bad. I'm not going to lie. It is bad, but hopefully help is on the way. Um, I'll start the bullpen talk with the positives. Gerson Batista is coming back soon, mm-hmm. but we don't really know what he's going to be. He's never really pitched yeah, above triple A. Um, Sean Armstrong's coming back. He actually does have a little bit of a track record as a consistent reliever, but so does Corey Gearin. So who knows? Um, it's going to be, it's going to be really piecemeal this year. And like we said, we're going to lose a lot of games where we should have won it, but I think from a fan perspective, you almost have to be okay with that mm-hmm. because the bullpen is not a piece where you're going to say, oh, God, we're in real trouble long term. Because bullpens every year, you look every team year to year, you have two, three new faces in your bullpen. It's probably the most replaceable and easiest to fix part of your roster. So in terms of roster construction, if your bullpen's horrible, that really shouldn't be too much of a cause for concern long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the easiest and 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 cheapest uh, position to upgrade um, exactly quickly with just some experience. And obviously this is by design. The M's aren't investing a lot in the bullpen because they don't have to, because winning isn't a super big priority. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is kind of, if you, if you do think about a team, how, how uh, I remember when Quinn our our buddy Quinn played um, for, for UW, one of the analytics guys that was on UW, I think had been working with the Sixers and talked about how, when the Sixers were like really tanking, they uh, they drafted Tony Roten and played him a bunch of minutes because Tony Roten would help them lose basketball games and be mm-hmm. really exciting as he did it. Um, and if you think about a design to do that in baseball, it would definitely be you know dingers and blown saves like that. That type right. of game is that's how you'd want to lose a game. Yeah, it get people out. You to don't the want to watch your offense go one zero runs and your starter give up like four or five and then just be five de- nothing down the whole game. Exactly. That's not a fun way to do it. Exactly. So building it in that way, even though I don't think tank is is in the cards um, for the M's as much as it might be. Kind of. We'll see how the season goes. Um, but uh, but I do want to say, go figure. Brandon Brennan, a member of the uh, the Double B Club, is the only guy who can be trusted. And uh, you know, the 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 evidence keeps mounting here as we think about Billy Bean, Bobby Bonds. I mean, the, this is getting absurd. Yeah, and just to refresh everyone's memory on who Brandon Brennan is, he is a guy who, if he struggles, he cannot be sent back down to the minors. Uh, he was a Rule Five pick, which for those who don't follow the MLB draft too closely, Rule Five is a portion of the MLB draft where you actually draft a player from another team. And as a consequence of that, you have to draft them from their minor league team, let me be clear. And it has to have certain stipulations around it. The guy hasn't made the majors in five years of service time in the minors. And that's to prevent teams from hoarding talent and just keeping them in the minors so no one else can have them. Brennan is a Rule 5 guy, so he has to stay with the Mariners throughout the entirety of this season. Mm. Yeah, good to know. Um, and uh, I love him already for for the double beat aspect of it. But he has yeah, been... and he's throwing gas. He's throwing ninety six, ninety seven miles an hour. Yeah, so he's, he's obviously got some stuff. He's got some stuff for sure. Um, someone who doesn't have some stuff, or at least for another ten days or so, is Hunter Strickland. Uh, was what, what was your? Oh, Hunter Strickland's not going to have some stuff for about <laughs> sixty to eighty games. He he has a lat two um, or a, a grade two lat strain, which for a pitcher is it could it can very well be a whole season because you throw. And the most predominant muscle you throw with is that lat. So so I, I wouldn't expect him back before the all-star break. So what was your perspective on how it went down on Friday? I wasn't I wasn't watching, it was it was late on Friday, of that kind of management issue with, with keeping him in pitching him in the first place and then keeping him in there through through obvious pain. Yeah, I have some issues with service. Um I thought when Corey Gear like what do you learn uh, basically in uh little league baseball is if you have a three run lead and you walk the first guy in the ninth, your coach, your coach is going to tell you, you're either going to, you know, pitch to the next guy, or if you don't give him something to hit, you're going to get pulled. I don't like that. They allowed him to go three batters. I think it sends a bad message. I know they don't have a lot to work with in the bullpen, but the fact that you're allowing a guy to go out and walk three guys with a three run lead, it, it's inexcusable. And I saw the same thing with uh, services management of Strickland. They saw that something was wrong immediately. They walked out to the mound. Strickland shook him off and said, oh, I'm fine. Like, you know, every pitcher ever in throughout history is going to do. 
And then you saw him, his stuff was way down. You knew immediately something was wrong. His slider wasn't biting. He was sitting 92 when he was sitting 96 the night before. And you got, you have to be able to get, let these guys get out of their own way. That's your job as a manager. Of course, they're going to tell you they're fine. You have to trust what you see and make the determination that they are not, in fact, fine. And that probably cost the Mariners the game. They could be sitting at six and zero right now. Mm. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's there. It was a, a huge lead heading into the ninth at home. Uh, in a guy who was clear, you know, this wasn't some fringe like little blister that was unnoticed. This was something that was visible to anyone that was in attendance. Um, so yeah, that was weird, and and it's it might be time to start thinking as we're you know building for the long term about this service thing because uh, it, it, there's there's some smoke there, um, so something to keep an eye on and maybe something we can talk about. At yeah, a, at a later. And time. I like Service's track record as a uh, player development guy, but um, you know he, he that's kind of his pedigree. He was always in organizations as one of their player development personnel which is going to be important with all these young players that are going to be coming up soon but the guy I was sitting with at the game yesterday actually made a good point and I don't know how much this matters but I just want to bring it up last year the 89 win Mariners that was the winningest team Scott Service has ever been a part of at the major league level and that includes as a coach and as a player so you kind of wonder like does this guy even know what it really looks like to be the on a winning program uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, you th- looking at how the playoffs were managed last year. It did feel like a different sport. Get you know teams that I wasn't watching as closely as I was watching the M's. I was like, okay, like this this level of man. Obviously, playoff management is different than regular season, but this level of detail, uh, yeah, is not something I was seeing. So um, that is uh, that is something to definitely keep a keep an eye on. Um, Let's talk about the catching situation. The M's made a trade. Um, we acquired Tom Murphy. Um, I'm going to say his name in uh, Charlie Murphy voice, right? You're a Chappelle Show fan, right? Oh, I love you. Yep. All right. Tommy Murphy. So uh, love love Tom Murphy, who looks like the players that you draft in like your second season of MLB 2005. He has the most generic face I've ever seen in my life. It honestly looked like like it was created. Like it was, it was just like, here's generic like white guy and... Uh, that was because nobody had seen his face before, but it just showed up on all those graphics, um, which is really funny. And then he also said that he was watching The Office uh, when he found out he got traded from the Giants to uh, to the Mariners. So, which is like the most generic white guy show to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I love The Office, but yeah, I'm also a generic white guy. Um, but I, I I was impressed. I mean, he framed the final strike in Saturday night's game, uh, took it from from the um, you know the the lower left hand corner back into the mm-hmm. zone. Drew a couple walks in that first game. Um, got a single. Got a single, right? This uh, I like the acquisition, and I they're kind of going to do the righty-lefty thing, it seems like, with, with him and Narvaez. Yeah, and I texted you something to the extent of it, it is – I, I don't want to say it's concerning that they're platooning the catchers because it's not concerning. I mean, obviously, teams do this all the time. The Red Sox, who won the World Series last year, had a platoon situation at the catcher, at the catcher position. But it's something we were used to seeing Zanino go out and – you know, 130, 140 games a year, regardless of the lefty-righty matchup, it does take a little bit of the shine off of the prospects of Omar Narvaez if he's only going to be starting against right-handed pitchers. Um, Obviously, there's more right-handed pitchers in the majors than there are lefties, so he's on the long side of the platoon. But it still is a little bit of a diminishment to how much value he could bring to the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it it is something where... I can see both. I can see where giving the guy all the reps of the season allows you to get a better sample of what type of player he's going to be. Is he is he a uh, a full full time guy, a, a piece of this this puzzle going forward? Um, and so, if you take that away and now add someone else into that equation, um, it might distract from that. However, it also gives you the opportunity to look at two guys simultaneously um, who are pretty similar in terms of their um, their general like outlook or or scouting reports with with Murphy and with Narvaez um, who are both offensive guys who haven't really quite performed at a, at a great level yet um, that you're trying to see is this is this our catcher maybe not of the future but of the next couple of years and the thing with Murphy too is Depoto's definitely got the type and now it's just it, it the more mounting evidence there is I mean it's just a pile of evidence now he Tom Murphy former top 100 prospect yep. Never could hack it at the major league level. And 
Depoto takes him in and says, maybe I can make something out of this guy. So that's definitely the route he's going. I don't know how much efficiency there is in the route that Depoto is going, but he really seems to think that he has some sort of special sauce that can revitalize these once top, once great prospects. Yeah, it's uh, it's what they call, at least in the NBA, is the, the second draft when you're getting guys who look like flameouts after a couple years, but um, all of the reasons that they were top 15 picks in, in the NBA draft still apply um, going forward, and you're just saying, can we bet on our infrastructure? Can we bet on our system to turn these guys into what they were supposed to be as prospects? Especially when in baseball, you had scouting reports on all these guys anyways, and you might have wanted to acquire them in the first place. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting to see them doing that, and it's similar to what they did with Hanniger, what they did with J.P. Crawford now. Um, of they're just kind of betting on other people's Tim Beckham. Tim Beckham, yeah, exactly, right? They're 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 betting on other people's inability to develop top tier talent and saying, let's give us a shot. Uh, betting that that talent is still latent somewhere, which I guess is an encouraging sign, cons- <clears throat> because Depoto must think his player development, which you know, the re- if you could distill why the Mariners have struggled the last nineteen years, <laughs> you could probably sum it up in two words, and that's player development. So it's encouraging to at least that he thinks he might have some sort of inside edge on developing players that other teams don't have. Right. Or the other two words could be Kyle Seager as in the only position or only homegrown position player to make an all-star team um, in that in that same time span. Exactly. Uh, Which is just wild when you think about how the Cardinals have probably had 10 of those guys. Um, all right, let's let's get a little smarter here, and I'm excited about this one because this is this is uh, your classic baseball argument of new school, old school, um, and something that has a little bit of connection to some of the other things that we've talked about this year. But this is launch angle, um, and which is rising over. Uh, first of all, do you want to give a, a, just a brief kind of synopsis of what we mean by launch angle? Yeah. So everyone now by now, I think we've talked about it enough, is familiar with uh, what Statcast is. Statcast. Uh, being the basically the uh, technology that allows us to uh, see sort of spin rates on baseballs and you know the angle at which the ball is leaving the plane of the bat and the velocity that the runner or the velocity that the ball is leaving with and you know how fast the runner is doing it basically gives us hard data on things that we might perceive with our eye mm-hmm. but gives us gives us actual comparable metrics so you've seen over the course of the last couple of years the if you look at there's a swing is basically a physics equation on how far the ball is going to go it depends on how fast it leaves your bat and it depends on the angle at which it leaves your bat and you see it with a lot of guys they now are trying to tailor their swings to get the ball up in the air more increasing their launch angle because they want to hit for more power a ball on the ground is going to go for a single or an out a ball in the air it could be a double, it could be a flyout, or it could be a home run. So there's more positive outcomes when the ball is going in the air than when it is going on the ground. Right, exactly. It's like it's you know it's it's akin to how you would choose to to kick a football um, from a certain angle. You're going to kick it differently than if you want to if you want it just to go a certain direction versus if you want to just kick it as far as possible. Uh, it's two, right. Two different types of kicks, two different types of of leg swings. In this case, it's a bat swing. Uh, the average launch angle over the last few years has been increasing. It was in the tens, 10 degrees. Um, if you think about that, it's like, you know, your acute angle, right angle thing from geometry, 10 degrees um, a few years ago up to now over 12, which doesn't sound like a lot, but um, just a couple. That's a ton, that is a ton when you think about like how minor, uh, like these little adjustments, when you multiply it over a, a hundred, a ball leaving a bat at a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. it's the difference between a line drive and a flyout. Yeah, so guys like Joey Gallo are much much higher than that twelve degrees, um, but uh, some guys, you know, are are a little bit more even plane, um, and that's kind of an interesting part of this. First of all, it's not everybody, but it does seem. So we're talking about the aesthetics of this, right? Like every, mm-hmm. everybody is swinging up on the ball, which allows you to uh, get more power, but it also prohibits you from reaching certain pitches, especially up in the zone. That's why that's mm-hmm. why uh, that shift. We talked happened. about Eric Swanson a little bit with that. Exactly, and it's why the M's have have their pitchers throwing above a piece of string um, in in spring training to try and get above that certain line when they mean throw up in the zone, um, but it's all kind of connected, right? The, the launch angle piece of it seems to be a response to shifting. 
of saying we we can't we can't just have guys swing anymore because teams are too smart and they know where this guy is going to hit. Um, so we have to swing over it and we have to make sure exactly. that these guys have power. Um, so it kind of all goes back to the shift because the shift is leading to the launch angle. The launch angle is leading to how we how we want pitchers to throw up in the zone. Um, so this is kind of more of a symptom, I think, than a than a cause of some of the things that people are maybe upset about with baseball. That was extremely well said. I couldn't have said that better myself. The launch angle revolution is a direct response to the shift. Mm-hmm. And if guys are just going to pound the ball into the dirt, the defense is going to gladly say, okay, we'll just move all of our guys into the places where you pound the ball into the yeah. dirt. So everyone's just trying to get it over their head now. And I guess what I was frustrated with and what I texted you about is I understand why teams want this. It's obviously going to help them win more, but the aesthetic of baseball is is changing so much and I'm not sure and like I said, I'm a pretty like open-minded guy when it comes to the game and understanding all these changes, but uh it doesn't it's not as fun. I don't know how else to put it any any more bluntly than that. It just seems like now we're either waiting for a home run or a strikeout or someone to pound the ball into the shift. It's the ball has, is no longer in, there's not there does, doesn't exist as many possibilities in the game of baseball anymore when you start just hoping for a home run or you know you're going to accept a strikeout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, Ricky Henderson winning the MVP with 66 RBIs and his his abilities were fully on display. It was just you know everybody was up against the exact same defensive lineups back then and you were hitting against you know a, a set system and just. It was it was a much more simple thing in that a player's strengths are a player's strengths. Now you can take away a player's strengths and cause them to change kind of fundamentally who they are, which is a little unfortunate. And I do agree that uh, aesthetically, like a guy like Joey Gallo is just it's so binary of like you're going to strike this guy out or this guy is going to hit one for 450. Exactly. And And I I don't know much about basketball, but it feels like they're falling into the same trap as baseball where it's okay, either a three pointer or you go up at the rim and it just takes a lot of creativity, I guess, out of the sport. Like Mm -hmm. there, there's just less room to maneuver when, when you try and like strip the sport down to its like most base elements like that. Yeah. I think your boy Popovich uh, has, has uh, agreed with some of those sentiments of, of the three point revolution in basketball has made everyone play too similarly. Um, And even thinking about, I heard someone talk about this of like, our friend uh, Jack Sigma, like his his jump shot is funky as, as hell, right? It's so it's it's weird, and no one right. no one who came through AAU and, and coaching this this at, at you know if if Jack Sigma was born again and came through, uh, no one would have his jump shot. It would be this perfect, engineered, well constructed jump shot that was that was similar to Ray Allen's and Steph Curry's, the ones that we know are the most successful. Um, and some people would be like, duh, that's the smartest thing that you could have, but that kind of like uniqueness to a player's game um, is all stripped away once you get to the NBA. Different, we're now we're crossing sports here, but it's similar to what we're talking about here with the launch angle. Right. And the last thing I'll say about the launch angle thing is, and I guess this is analytics at large. Listen, we love analytics. We spend so much of this podcast talking about analytics, mm-hmm. but I think it is also important to notice for all the beauty and all of the help in understanding the game that the analytics have given us. There are some negative externalities to the way we, or at least I perceive as negative externalities, as to the way the game has moved. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do want to give a, a beacon of hope here. Last year, of uh, of uh, Kristen Yelich won the the MVP in the NL with a four point seven degree launch angle on average, which was good for three hundred and seventeenth in the MLB, which is real low. Uh, but his his effectiveness was predicated on his his exit velocity, his like barrel percentage, things like that. He was hitting the ball squarely and harder. Uh, better than a lot of players and was still had the most home runs in his career and was obviously good enough to win the MVP. So yeah. you don't have to I play hope like so. that. But uh, how many guys are there going to be like Christian Yellick who come up and now all of a sudden the scouts and the player development guys are going to try and tinker with their swing because they're going to say, oh, no, he needs to get that ball in the air more. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's probably going to be some counterpunch to all this as well uh, that, we, that we haven't thought of quite yet. I do want to give a quick shout out to Baseball Savant. Uh, it is, I mentioned it a few weeks ago talking about, I forget what, but it is so cool. They have this tool that you, it's just a blank X, Y plane. You can put a point there, um, for exit velocity and launch angle. And it shows you like all of the outcomes from, from, uh, from last season of like, totally. Yeah. So yeah. it's like 112 degree or 112 mile an hour exit velocity with a six degree launch angle. 
produces a lot of doubles and like it's so cool um and i would highly recommend playing with that to get a sense of like you move a little bit up in launch angle and all of a sudden at the same exit velocity you're seeing farther and farther and closer to out of the park baseball savant is like my personal bible i have spent more time on that website than i think probably any other website on the internet and it's just, yeah it's just amazing yeah yeah it's really really cool um and basketball savant is great too for a lot of the same things but uh, baseball is super helpful for for this podcast and for for these types of segments. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's do a little. Let's pay the bills a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's. My parents are going. Your parents to... are going to pay help me pay the bills <laughs> for sure. Yeah, they'll leave quite the tip. I'm sure. Uh, my parents will be celebrating their 27 years of marriage on Thursday uh, at Carmines in Bellevue. Um, very excited for it. They they've wanted to come to your restaurant for a while. They now have a good reason to. Very excited. I think you'll be there. Is that the plan? Yep, I'm gonna be there. I so usually on Thursdays that's actually my one day of not being there. Um, oh, look at you! Wow. But I am going to switch my day with my brother to uh, to uh, Thursday, so I can make sure I get to see your parents. What a what a dude! Uh, what's on the menu that they should they should really be considered when they're there on Thursday? Well, I guess it depends. That's the thing. That's the beauty, and not to tune my own horn, but that's the beauty of of the way that my dad constructed his menu and how we mimicked it over in Bellevue is there it really is it's all Italian uh based but there really is something for all t- sorts of appetites if you want to go with pasta there's beautiful pasta dishes um I don't need to extol the virtues of all of those but there's also a lot of stuff for people who maybe they wanted to go to a steakhouse we have steaks that I would say are on par with any world-class uh steakhouse and I mean that sincerely I think that we really do a good job of covering all the bases on our menu. You hear that, Daniels? Uh, Carmine's is coming right at your throat there. Uh, my mom <laughs> wants to know what is what is on the dessert menu because there's no way my mom – I've never seen my mom walk out of a restaurant without at least looking at the dessert menu if not having dessert. Can I tell you what my favorite dessert is on it's, the dessert menu? Please. So we had a chef uh, who's no longer with us actually, but he's a very talented guy. He was at uh, Canlis for a long time, but he um, – created this uh, dessert. He calls them the babas. I don't know why they're called that, but they're basically like these fried donuts with this caramel glaze and this beautiful house-made whipped cream that's it's just out of this world. And I, it's really decadent, really rich, but super, super well thought out and well balanced and, 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 and just an amazing dish. I, uh, I just had to, um, to take a drink of water there to, to remove the saliva from my mouth. It sounds... Sounds sounds quite lovely. Um, from from pasta all the way down, I'm sure they'll have a good time. Um, I'm I'm excited that you'll be able to treat them there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have them. Yeah, they're they're a good time. We we got we got stopped when we were we were at um at Ivers on the pier on Christmas Eve, and we were like my parents are so absurd, and we make fun of my aunt so much that the uh, the the family behind us as they were leaving the 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 the, um, the mom of the family. T- tapped on my mom's on my mom's shoulder and said i just want to thank you for having so much fun at, at a dinner um which is really cool but so hopefully yeah that is cool i see i do that kind of thing sometimes to customers where i go up and i just say like you guys look like you genuinely enjoyed like being with each other and the experience and i just want to thank them for that it's yeah. cool to watch you know that's like the one sort of token that i hang my hat on like you know, there's a lot of crappy parts about running restaurants, but like watching people really enjoy the company they're with and the food and the whole experience. It's really, I, I know it sounds cheesy, but that's really what makes like the day actually worth it. Hell yeah. Well, hopefully you'll see a very happy uh, couple celebrating the 27th on Thursday. Happy anniversary to those two. I uh, can't wait to hear about how that went. I know it will go very well, but yeah, that's, that's, that's Carmine's in Bellevue. Um, hopefully some of the listeners there end up, end up, uh, having some dinner there as well. Um, all right, let's, let's head around the league to, uh, to talk about a $20 piece of plastic, uh, that pissed a lot of people off. Um, in the athletic, they had an article, um, about this, this championship belt, uh, WWE style that was, that is handed around at, at MLB owners meetings, um, to the team that was most successful at, uh, at holding the line in arbitration. Can you give us a, a quick breakdown of what I mean by holding the line in arbitration? Okay, so arbitration is a process in which players and management of the team are actually opposed to one another. The player is arguing to the arbitrator, and, and all 
just like an arbitrator in any case, all judgments are binding. When they say this is what the player's salary is going to be, that's it. There's no more arguing about it. So after three years of being on a league minimum contract, the player then has the opportunity to basically square off against his own management, which has to be awkward for everybody involved, and say, this is why I'm worth this much money. And it, it changes year to year. You know, every year they have baselines like the first year you should be making 20% of what your um, free market value would be. And your last year you're making like 80% of what your free market value would be. But basically the player and his agent go to go against the management and say, hey, this is how much we're worth and I have these statistics to prove it. And then the management is in the unenviable position of saying, you know, I know you play for the team and I'm sorry, but you're actually only worth this. <laughs> so you kind of have to argue why your own player is bad. It's a very weird system, but it's the system that baseball came up with. Yeah, so so with the, the holding the line part of it is basically – the MLB um, is, you know, is a conjunction of, of 30 owners. And so those owners are given instructions of, we want you to pay as little as possible to this. And so we're going to give you, the MLB is going to give you, the owner, and you, the management, uh, some recommendations about a player. So let's just say arbitration case X. Let's just say Malik Smith ends up in ar arbitration. Bad example, because he's already passed that part. But... The, uh, the MLB says, okay, we we're, our recommendation is he's an $8 million a year player. The the the, uh, the player's representation would come back and say, okay, actually we believe it's a $12 million player. This article that The Athletic had was saying that more recently than, than or like a few years ago, that would have been an easy negotiation. All right, let's just, let's just call it 10. Yeah, exactly. Now, now the, the hard stance is we came in at eight, we're going to stay at eight. And there's not really anything you can do about it uh, because we want to save as much money as possible. Yes, I should I should mention that you actually don't have to go to arbitration. The team and the player can agree beforehand. If the player says, "Hey, I want 12," and the team says, "Hey, I want eight," the the team can go, "Okay, fine, let's call it 10, and and we'll we'll move on with our lives." But now you're seeing a lot more players go to arbitration because of what you said. Teams mm -hmm. are taking this hard line on guys. Yeah, and I. I, I read the article, I actually sent it to you before I really read it, and after reading it, I, I came away very not surprised. And I, I, I wonder if you feel the same way of like, <laughs> just knowing a little bit more about how management works in the world versus versus talent and players or people. Right. This is just a this is a trope of how it works everywhere. Basically, yeah, and that's that's actually, I, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I got out of it. It just seems like this is a business they're doing i guess on the mlb's defense like yeah you don't want to pay, play pay more than you have to but also in defense of the players and in defense of like free market there's only 30 teams in the mlb and they're basically a legal cartel so it's not fair they have a undue advantage in suppressing wages because the player can't say okay i'm not going to work for your company anymore i'm going to go work for the other team it, it, the players are in a really unenviable position and i know that sounds crazy because they are making a ton of money mm -hmm. in comparison to like an actual worker but they are in a position where they don't really have a lot of leverage and it's really being used to hamstring them and the owners are taking full advantage of it and really putting the screws to them. Yeah, and that's that's part of what the article was talking about. Of it's much easier for the uh, for the owners to kind of gang up on the, the players rather than the opposite uh, because the, the, the owners can get a quick memo from the MLB and that's one thing, but there's no, like the players union can't organize as quickly and um, as unified against the owners because players have competing interests against each other. Um, so right. It's, it's kind of this, again, this weird situation where an agent wants to get his guy paid, um, but doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to work with another agent because they're competitive for that same dollar. So it's exactly it's, all the, the amount of money in the pool is finite. So more for your guy means less for mine. Right. Right. So it's this, it's this weird sticky thing. And I think all of it, um, between what we talked about, you know, with, with the fact that Craig Kimbrell still isn't signed, that Denard Spann still isn't signed, um, all of that is concluding to we are probably definitely going to have a strike in 2020. I was just going to say, get <laughs> batten down the hatches, get ready because it's happening. And yeah. I'm so sure that there's going to be a strike. I would bet, I would bet my prestigious reputation <laughs> on it. 
Yeah, I, well, that'll be in three seasons. So the nineteen season. Yeah, season, the we still season. have some time, but it's it's going to happen. Yeah, and, you it, know that you already look. The signs are there. The uh, MLB Players Association is already starting to create a, a fund um, using uh, revenue from like jersey sales that they are entitled to to basically stash it away so the players will have living uh, money to live off of when the strike does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which again sounds a little weird of like money to live off of. These guys make a ton, but. I, I, I just feel like in these ecosystems where there's money available and it doesn't go to the employees, it pisses me off. So like people, um, Eric, Eric Jensen, I know you're listening, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like is all about like, yes, Earl Thomas, you are complaining about the difference between 18 million and 20 million or whatever it is. That's, you know, that's, that's like, who cares? Just take your 18, but it's not like he's asking for more than is available. And right. And, it, and and that's the thing I don't understand. I can't wrap my head around it when people are saying, oh, these guys are overpaid. Just go play the game. So let me get it straight. You're siding with the billionaire owners rather mm-hmm. than like the millionaire employees. Yeah. I, I don't get that. And I think it's fine to be like, yeah, I, I completely get why the Seahawks didn't pay Earl Thomas. That makes total sense from a management pers- perspective. But you can't, you know, you can't also say. Uh, this player is doesn't have that right to go get more money. Exactly, than, workers he, have to stand up for their rights, whether they're making sixteen million dollars a year or sixteen thousand dollars a year. You have to stand up for your rights as a worker. Mm-hmm. And Earl Thomas was validated by the fact that Baltimore gave him exactly that much money that he was he was hoping for. So, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, as you get older, I think your perspective on management changes. My brother always talked to me about that of like, well, you're young, you just don't, you're not in management thought, you're in uh, you know, you like labor thought. Yeah. Um, you're the late, you're a laborer. Yeah. 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 And so you get a little bit more perspective as you get older. Um, but, uh, but you know, you still got to keep both in mind as you're thinking through these things. Yeah. There's no, there's, and there's no good way out of this. And that's why I think the strike's going to happen because owners and management are just going to be so reticent to give any sort of concession to, uh, the players and the players are angry mm-hmm. and there's a lot of bad feelings already. And I know that it's actually one positive note on all this is they are already starting their labor negotiations in anticipation because they know this is going to be a long drawn out process. But I feel like the only way that it's going to come to any sort of conclusion is for one side or for both sides to start losing money and via a strike or a lockout. And then they'll finally come to something hopefully that's tenable for both sides because baseball is a really great sport and I don't want to see it not happen. Yeah, but it is interesting that like if you asked Rob Manfred, commissioner of the MLB, what what the biggest uh, question or problem that the the league faces in its mass appeal, how do we how do we get the the game to to grow and how do we how do we you know keep people's attention? Um, and then if you asked a player what the biggest problem was, it's you know it's much much different. And so that's totally that's, that's what tells me that a strike is coming of uh, the the uh, priorities of, of management and the priorities of players are, are not, not aligned, which um, is never a good sign. Uh, no, but here's to hoping that they can figure it out. Yeah. Speaking of processes, we'll talk about the, uh, the Mariners step back process. We won't go so deep um, as we normally, normally do for a, give, a given prospect, uh, given that they haven't really started any games yet. Uh, but I did want to bring up and, you know, through the years I've, I've given you plenty of crap about your Brandon league takes um, or your, uh, your overreactions or your uh, incorrect things, but you know that's a product of of you put out opinions. Some are going to be right, some are going to be wrong. Um, one opinion that seems to be looking up is your uh, your note of Jake Fraley, who uh, was mentioned by Jerry Depoto on the Wheelhouse podcast. Our friends at the Wheelhouse um, talking about Jake Fraley as his guy who turned heads this spring training, um, a guy that you were on uh, way back when. Um, who was kind of the throw-in from the Malik Smith deal. But how, how good does it feel to take your little victory lap here? Yeah, it feels good. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to get start getting a lot more right because I, I still think I'm, I'm well under the Mendoza line on correct takes. Um, no one, but, no, hey, no it's, it's, a, it's a solid – I would say I just hit a solid double so yeah. far. I mean, so far. Obviously, the guy could flame out, but there is definite interest from management in seeing what this guy can be. And – we talked about it. I feel like a broken record, but he's a swing change guy. Somebody who could, was pounding the ball into the turf time after time after time. 
and now he's starting to launch the ball a little bit more and he's starting to hit for a lot more power. The defense has always been there with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was sort of how they looked at him as a, oh, he's going to be a fourth outfielder type ceiling guy because he can't hit. Uh, now with this swing change, he's he's kind of turned that whole notion on its head and maybe he can hit. And if he can hit, he's going to be a really valuable player. Yeah, that's basically DePoto's exact sentiment was that we knew that when we got this guy that the defense was uh, was kind of the baseline. Um, but, you know, his, his ability to hit for a little bit more pop is, is certainly, certainly appealing and has them, has them people saying, uh, shades of Mitch Hanniger, which, um, is kind of the guy that the M's are going to boast, uh, as much as they possibly can as the guy that they turned around from, from Arizona's scrap heap. Um, and, and freely they mentioned his exit velocity was of being over a hundred plus, uh, which is just a good barometer for power coming off mm-hmm. of that was they're in the 30 to 40% range, which is, which is pretty dang good. Um, and, and has them, has them excited going forward. Yeah. He's, I'm, he's someone to keep your eye on. He's still got a long way to go before he gets to the majors. I think he's slated for double a and the double a season hasn't even started, but with a good solid season, he might be one of those guys you might see in late September as a call up as a reward for having a nice season. Yeah. Hopefully he, um, he's shaved by then. Cause the, uh, the flush beard doesn't, doesn't look, uh, doesn't look great, but who no, am? no, it reminds <laughs> me of Dustin Ackley and that bums me out. Yeah. Who am I, who am I to say, uh, our, uh, ex Mariner of the week. I, um, didn't go into the, the level of detail coming up with, with, uh, p- bizarre Lupinella scenarios this year or this week, but, uh, some guys to mention Edwin Diaz, two saves for the Mets this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Ben Gamble, he of the, the Domingo Santana trade, uh, is 0 for 5 uh, for Milwaukee. and uh, or, I'm surprised he's even gotten 5 at bats yet, to be quite honest. That, that's very true. Uh, and uh, Nathan, who I guess goes by Nate, maybe he always did, but Nate Nathan Carnes, uh, who was horrible for that's the That's a M's, name I haven't heard in a long time. Horrible for the Ebbs two years ago, uh, was the opening day pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> God, that's got to be a depressing statistic. <laughs> who have no interest in winning, as 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 if I needed to say that sentence after saying who their opening day pitcher was. Uh, but he beat James Paxton. Technically, uh, the Orioles beat beat uh, beat the Yankees in the James Paxton's first start. A one zero loss uh, for 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 Mister Paxton. Uh, Carnes only went two innings, so he couldn't uh, couldn't qualify for the win. But it is it is funny to see those two guys square off. <laughs> the 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 greatest former Mariners, I like we've said it before, but I really hope Paxton has a good year because I don't want the New York media turning on him. He's too precious. I think he'll be fine, um, and especially because yeah. he's in a situation where uh, with that bullpen, all they have to do is get him to the sixth, um, and it, it the, the rest will, will shut down. So um, also and- Brad Miller, I was just I just flipped on the Cleveland uh, Chicago mm-hmm. game, and Brad Miller's starting at second base right now for the Indians. So good for him. Wow, crazy legs. Um, Dave Sims Fedora. We talked about this as our new award that we're going to hand out to your uh, your most unfortunate Mariner of the week. Who are you giving it to? It's it's. There's not. This is going to be the easiest one ever. This is Corey Gearin. I mean, three walks when you're up three runs in the ninth. You, you can't even ex- you can't accept that in high school, much less in the majors. And I know the bullpen has been the oh well, we're not going to have a good bullpen. We're not going to have a good bullpen. You can't use that as an excuse to just go out and and not perform at, and perform at such a low level i the, that's a fundamental baseball thing that you learn the first time you pick up the ball you have a three-run lead you pitch to the contact even if it is jd martinez leading off the inning i'd rather see a home run there i know it sounds crazy but i'd rather see the home run than the walk mm-hmm. just pitch to the contact it's not a hard concept and you're in the major leagues you can throw strikes it's it's it was inexcusable and it was honestly inexcusable for service to let him walk three guys before he pulled him. I'll uh, I'll I'll well said. I'll I'll give the ex or the uh, Dave Sims fedora to myself because I had one mission for last week's podcast, which was to ask to ask you to clarify and to finish your story about uh, what John Schneider said about um, about uh, about team building. And uh, you never did. And when you were talking about when you met him at the restaurant. So I'm going to make you tell that story right now. Oh man, I don't even remember. What were we talking about? The team building. Uh, it was, you asked him something about like balance or. Oh, you know what it was? It was about like the, re- like how to handle public criticism. Yes. And, and yeah, the, uh, what, 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 what was it? He was saying, God, it's been so long. My brain is so small. <laughs> um, but it was just more about, um, 
how he had a team around him uh, of people that he trusted and he believed in. And then he didn't really listen to the outside noise. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but if you have a solid team who not only is your yes men, like I think service is a yes man for DePoto, but that's a totally separate issue. But if you have a team that challenges you and forces you to grow, you don't really need to listen to any sort of outside interpretation of the job that you're doing. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well said, John. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a good management trope that you hear a lot these days is uh, just, just hire good people. And then you don't really have to worry about a whole lot. Um, so interesting. Well said, but my brother for the last two weeks has, has texted me after the podcast uh, furious that he didn't get the end of that story. So um, he now has it. So I appreciate that. There's uh, some conclusion for your brother. Yeah. Some closure. That's all he wanted. Uh, so our handing out of our yellow hydros this week, um, I'll do mine quickly. Tim Beckham, uh, just a good story. Former number one overall pick, kind of slain a little bit. Having fun. Looked like he having a ton of fun uh, playing in this lineup. Also a big week for baseball swag if you're a Mariner fan. Uh, the the pinky biting phone call thing that they're doing after extra base hits. Love it. Um, what is that? No idea. No idea. Okay. It'll be some some focus of a wheelhouse pod. The swag, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at the swag because these guys need to buy helmets that fit them. <laughs> that was my, I, I just can't handle it anymore. I cannot watch them well, run out of the box and lose their helmet within three seconds. Well, okay. Do you ever watch the U, that, that uh, ESPN 30 for 30 on? on yeah, yeah, okay, about so, the Miami. Yeah, so those guys figured out that they're going to score a lot of touchdowns. They're the most popular team in America. Time to start taking your helmet off after touchdowns so that people at home can see what your face looks like, get you a little bit more pub, um, you know, uh, help you attract, uh, you know, interested females so that they know who you are. I think that that but might why, be part of But why of does Malik Smith have to wear a chain that looks like it's weighing him down? So that the helmet comes off easier. This is this is easy, right? This is a, this is a very easy solution. I suppose. I just, I, I don't get it. It's like, you, in baseball, is such a game of like centimeters. If you even have to stop for a millisecond yeah. to like fasten your helmet after like an at bat, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get a helmet that fits. I know it's now I'm like the old man that's yelling and get off my lawn, but come on, guys, get, get a helmet that fits. <laughs> Phil wants the, uh, the bike helmet, the, the clip under the, under the chin. Um, also, why don't guys have switch hitters? Why don't they have helmets that have double flaps? I know it doesn't look as cool, but like, would you rather do that or just have to switch your helmet every single time you have to go lefty or righty? I think the double helmet or the double flap is a is a tough look. I think I think that's probably why. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not not exactly the the. Mo- I mean, the the flap it took long enough for people to adopt it because it was it looked nerdy. But I the double flap is asking a lot. But we'll see. Uh, you can hand out your yellow hydro this week, and this is this is a this is a good one. Yeah, I mean, I'm going with you say Kikuchi, and um, the reason for that, I don't know how much the listeners. I know a lot of the listeners here like know who I am, uh, but for those who don't, maybe your friends in Boston or whoever. Um, my father passed away when I was um, in college. You were actually we were actually together um, in the fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, when this whole process started and it was a little bit of a process, it was about a two week, two, th- two to three week long ordeal. And, uh, you say his father just passed away too. And I know how hard it is, um, to continue trying to do your business as normal. I didn't miss any school. I continued to go and work and, and, and go to my classes and attend all that stuff. And, and just having such a heavy heart about the whole whole situation and he's got that times a million because he has to go out and pitch in front of 40,000 people every night or not every night, but every fifth day. And I guess I, I just hope the best for him and maybe it'll be a good thing. Maybe it'll be like some perspective, like, Hey, even if I have a bad start and I know that's how I kind of took it. If things weren't going right, there's bigger things to think about in the world than if you gave up a, a, a two Oh, bomb or whatever mm. or your curveball is not biting as much as you want it to be or you know you didn't get the run on your slider you know there's there's real world things that matter a lot more than the game that you're playing but to continue to play it and and honor his father's legacy is, is something that's really cool yeah that was part of his his dad's wishes um was to to have him keep playing and, and he will do that uh to honor his dad well said phil appreciate you you sharing that anecdote um, I remember very vividly you, you going through that and, uh, you know, that, that level of, 
of of bravery and and you know fighting through that was something that that um, you know you can hang your hat on, and I'm glad you you shared that perspective. I appreciate it, and I just hope that he he's okay, and I know he will be. You know, the pain the pain it doesn't ever go away. I still think about my dad all the time, every mm-hmm. every day. I still have dreams all the time, but eventually it it it, it dulls, and and you you remember the fondness more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Couldn't say it any better myself, so I won't. Uh, that'll do it for us. Appreciate uh, appreciate this, Phil. That we're get, we're getting good at this, man. I gotta. I gotta yeah, we are. I'm I'm really happy about this. And you know what I'm really happy about is um, I didn't get to use my hypothetical this week, and it's a really good one. So it'll add some uh, intrigue for next week. Yes. Yeah. We had a lot to talk about with this offense. So um, if and once that calms down, we'll uh, we'll save it a little bit for a carve out a little section at the end for this. And, uh, you know, we've got some voicemails coming up from, from some angry callers, as we know, Oh, I'm super excited. <laughs> as about we it. know, especially one that we riled up even more this week. So can't wait for that. Thank you all for listening. And, uh, and thank you, Phil. All right. Thanks. Take care. Peace.